Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guests today are Kathy Wong, Professor of Law at the University of Virginia, and Euro Neely, Assistant Professor of Law at the University of Wisconsin. We'll be discussing their article, Cleaning Corporate Governance, which they co-authored with Ian Strankenreiter and Eric Talley, and is forthcoming in the University of Pennsylvania Law Review. I'll have a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Kathy, your own, welcome back to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having us, Andrew, and congrats on your new tenure track job. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm really excited. Yes, exciting to be here again, and thank you for this uh, great service you do for the legal community doing this podcast. It's great to have both of you back as now three-time guests. You each did a solo episode and episode with another co-author, and now you're doing an episode together. And we'll get into it in just a moment, into the how in just a moment. But this paper that you have co-authored with Jens and Eric, it really represents an epic undertaking in terms of data collection and challenging some foundational work in empirical corporate governance. I wondered if before we get into the meat and the bones of the paper, if you can maybe tell us about what motivated you and your co-authors to take this on. Is there a story there? Yeah, I mean, we lost our minds. I guess we're statists. So a few years ago, Yaron and I had actually started this charter project, Shadow Governance, where we collected corporate charters and also committee charters at the board level for the S&P 1500. And that was just a snapshot moment in time. And we were talking about it with Eric and Jens, and they were also super interested in this idea. We all had a hunch that a lot of the underlying data that has been used in empirical corporate governance work has been you know, shaky. Other people have pointed it out, including Mike Klausner. But we didn't really set out with the intention of redoing any of it. It was almost just like we started out collecting these charters as a public good. And then the snowball really got started rolling over the last summer, the pandemic summer, when we were able to hire a bunch of awesome RAs who were had shortened summer programs or canceled summer programs. And then once we got this huge corpus of charters, we were actually able to replicate some stuff and find out that the underlying data was actually shakier than we expected. As you mentioned, you are making this corpus freely available, and I'd love to hear a little bit about just what is in the corpus, what is the scale and the scope of it, and also to hear a little bit about what went into this project. Was it something that you were able to automate? You say that you had a lot of RA assistance. Were there obstacles that you ran into that you helped overcome for future researchers? And for listeners, this corpus is freely available right now on publiccompanycharters.com. And maybe if you could give us just a sense of what's in there and what's in this resource. Okay, so thanks, Andrew. As you said, this was a massive undertaking. And it really, as Cathy said, was a, a long process. We started working on this in the fall of 2019. And we are continuing to work on it at this moment, too. And really, it involves a lot of moving pieces. So we, first of all, needed to be able to get the charters in a clean, digestible version into our data set. And that required us to go and track the corporate charters of roughly 3,000 companies. So we did the the S&P 1500 for the last 10 years. We also did every company that was in the original IRC data set 
that a lot of researchers have been using. And that required some detective work. We had to go uh, and find their filings over time, see when the charters were filed, see when they were amended, and kind of building a corpus that was a panel that basically allows us to, for every given year, to know which charter was in effect for that year. So it required a lot of manual labor and going into the SEC website, looking for those documents, retrieving them, making sure that uh, they are correct, that they are full, then starting to kind of uh, taking some basic information and inputting it into a more uh, manageable uh, way to converting PDFs into uh, word files and so on and so forth. So it really was a long process. We started with some pilot data collection. We and uh, four authors, we all kind of, we meet regularly and we ran uh, some versions. We did it ourselves. We created this template that uh, helped systemize the process of collecting. We had our more senior arrays, ran some test runs, too. We then, by the point where we were able to expand our RA team, we had training videos, we had training meetings, we had weekly meetings where we went over key questions. So it was a lot of involvement, a lot of heavy lifting on that front. So it definitely wasn't just a summer and it was a a long process and it still is continuing. We are thinking about how to best try to use a little bit of automation in a codifier way. In the paper, we talk a little bit about how we use the machine learning to kind of verify that our results holds true and hopefully we can use some way algorithm to kind of uh, multiply and uh, you know leverage our existing data set in a way that will allow it to update and expand over time. So that's something that we're definitely very cognizant of and thinking about it. I want to also note right now, a public company, Chartered.com, has uh, some of the information available. Uh, we haven't made all of it available just yet, but we plan to do it over the summer. And some of it, when the, when the article that is forthcoming at Penn Law Review will be published uh, later in the fall. But the goal is to have it all accessible for researchers. And it's not just the underlying data, not just kind of like if you want to find the charter of Apple in 1995, you can go to the website and find it. It's also our labeling. Part of the project was basically to take those charters and read them for the substance and code them for their corporate governance arrangements, uh, similar to what the IRC data did. That label data, which is very valuable, will also be available to researchers to use. And our hope is that they're going to help us correct it and future-proof it. So if there are any mistakes, the fact that our data is freely available, and if there is anything in our coding that uh, is inaccurate, we are more than eager to have it corrected by future researchers who are going to use the asset. So if you're listening to this episode just as it comes out, uh, that website, publiccompanycharters.com, may not have everything on there yet. But if you're listening to this interview, maybe six months from now, it'll have a lot more on there. You talk about the IIRC data set that has been really foundational for so much of empirical corporate governance. And we'll maybe talk about a little bit more of that in a moment. But in a way, you have replicated some of the work of the IIRC. What did you find in doing that? Were your codings in line with what IRRC did, or did you find something different? We find a significant difference in the way IRRC coded stuff and the way we coded stuff. There's a lot more data in the paper, but overall we found a close to 80% error rate, which means that a lot of the things that the IRRC thought for one, we found to be the other. One of the maybe the most basic examples that everybody who deals with corporate law can relate to is the tax corporation provisions, so the one or two B7 provisions in Delaware that allows the company to allow directors and officers to be exempt from breaches of duty of care. And what we have found is that the IRC, somewhat of a peculiar trend where a lot of companies had it in the early 1990s, but slowly and gradually those provisions disappeared and their prevalence went down over time. 
And we found, not surprisingly, that it's exactly the opposite, that companies have started to add it more and more over time. And the difference was stark in the way they coded that and the way we found it to be based on the reading of the charter and coding those charters. That's just one example, but those differences are stark. They are not just on one provision. We saw the standard deviation of the errors is pretty spread, and they also get worse over time. So the mistakes in the coding of the IRC are actually increasing as we go over time between the 1990s and until the IRC has stopped its supports in the mid-2000s. 80% error rate, that's a pretty high rate. We might imagine that just random assignment of some of the indicators would have a more accurate rate or a lower error rate. Looking at that result, it reminded me of a saying that if legal academics want to do economic work, they need to either find an economist to be their co-author or they need to be an economist themselves. Whereas on the other hand, if economists want to do legal work, all they need to do is take a lawyer to lunch. And this is sort of a joke. This is sort of a serious statement sometimes. But in your view, having done this project, does it reflect some truth in how empirical corporate governance has been done to date? And is there anything in this paper that maybe undermines that statement? Obviously, I think the finance econ people who have done empirical corporate governance work have made a lot of great strides. They were the first to try to quantify basically a charter or a corporate governance document. And it's really hard to quantify them. At the same time, you know, clients pay big bucks for lawyers to look at all of the things, right? Their governance documents, the norms, the ways to get out of it, the case law, the underlying background state law, to try to distill answers about corporate governance for them. I mean, obviously, we all went to law school for three years and had several years of practice. And this is kind of distilling all of that richly layered stuff that goes into yes or no answers about corporate governance is extremely challenging and requires legal expertise. And I think that's part of the reason that the empirical corporate governance research from the finance and econ side has relied so heavily on commercial data, right? Because it's simply very hard to parse that information. Our view is kind of like, those folks made awesome strides, really important contributions. Interdisciplinary collaborations between lawyers and business folks is really great and important. But we can also do it ourselves, we as lawyers. We have a lot to add to this field. And to some extent, we've kind of undersold our own ability to do this. And we absolutely can do this work. And I think this shows that we do do this work. This IIRC data set has a really high error rate that gets worse over time. And this is a big deal, you explained, because so much of empirical corporate governance is founded on that data set. Now, you provide this great public service of preparing this corpus, of pulling it together and making it publicly available. But in the paper, you also show what it can do. You can't do a replication study of all the empirical governance papers that are based on this data set, but you do focus on one uh, really famous article that launched a lot of other articles, which is Gompers, Ishii, and Metric, or, or GMI, that focuses on something that they call the G-index. You did a replication study of GIM, which really got the ball rolling. Could you talk a little bit about how you set that replication study up, what limitations you faced, what did you find, and the significance of your findings, whether they align with the original GIM results? In the spirit of one idea per article, I think the clinical corporate governance paper really is about setting the stage. As Anu said, it's about putting this corpus out there and showing the value of this corpus and what people can do with it. So what we were trying to do this paper is showing a few potential directions you can take this corpus. One of them is looking prospective, and one of them is more examining what's done in the past. So on what has been done in the past, you're right, we were using the G-index, because the G-index has become such an invaluable form of measuring corporate governance, to show how our corpus may change things. One of the challenges 
is that the G-index itself is based on, many people know, on the IRC data. The IRC data is itself a black box. So the first step was really to kind of figure out the errors in the IRC data, and I, I spoke about it earlier. The second was to take that new coded information and check whether if we insert the corrected data into the way the G-index was calculated, whether that changes the G-index results. And one of the key pivotal results of the G-index was what, uh, what is called the long-short strategy. If you purchase along the top companies that are poor shareholder in their arrangement and short the companies that were the worst for shareholders, the most poor management, you would be able to get quite an astonishing abnormal returns of around 8% on an annual return basis. And what we have done is basically take the quoted charter data that we had and correct the G-index input by inputting our new quoted data in. Now, there are some limitations. We were able to to only uh, address provisions in the G-index or, um, you know, uh, um, out of the 24 parameters that they're looking on, we only were able to fix 17 because those are potentially are in the charter. We also, in cases we didn't have information or in cases we weren't coding anything, we just took the G-index as correct. So we took a very conservative view. We only corrected stuff that we knew for sure was incorrect in the way it was coded in the IRC. So for instance, if state law was somehow able to rescue the way the IRC coded stuff, we gave that as a true corrected coding, even though if you had suspicion that it might not be the case. And when we did it, when we did this application, we found that basically the results of the G-index are significantly attuned and a much smaller abnormal return is going to be uh, available if you do that long short uh, strategy. And this is again without coding for many of the things that the G-Index is looking for, for instance, bylaws. So one of the next projects uh, we are working on right now is coding for bylaws. And hopefully with that coded data, we'll be able to continue replicating and see whether the G-Index results get even weaker once we input corrected data for bylaws. And that will be interesting to see. So keep your eyes on that. What implications do you see for this paper, for the replication study that it does, and for the open source data that you have created that underlies the paper? What implications do you see for the future of empirical corporate governance, whether that is looking at the legal academy or the finance accounting academies or the world of practice? That's a great question. So I think one big thing for us is just that now this data is open access. In the past, you could buy this kind of data, and we've shown that it's not super accurate. But the only way you could get it, even if it wasn't super accurate, was to buy it and super expensive. And so us all being fairly junior scholars, we'll know that when you're a junior scholar, you can't really expect to be putting thousands of dollars of your research budget into buying data to do projects. And so there's a real difference in access based on your resources. And we hope to make this Well, it is going to be open access. So we hope that people will use the data regardless of whether they're junior or senior or what kind of school they are, because I think there's lots of different, um, everyone has enough stuff to contribute and this will be really cool. Um, There's lots of things you can do with this data. So one of the nice things about having the underlying corpus available in one place as well is that, for instance, a lot of the existing indices have been based on shareholders' rights. With more and more people interested in things like stakeholderism and common ownership, there's a lot more you can measure now that you have all the underlying corpus available at your fingertips. People can also do machine learning stuff using the underlying corpus, which we show some of that in the paper. And then finally, if you wanted to collect the data that we have, it would just be an enormous pain for you. For instance, when we first tried to get the data from Delaware, just the regular way, what we teach our students, right? Call the Delaware Secretary of State. 
Tell them that you would like to have all the historical charters for Apple or whatever. They will tell you a per page price, etc. I think that to do that, we sent RAs to do this and they were on the phone with Delaware for hours. And they would come back with these incomplete lists of historical charters. And we found out that it would be prohibitively expensive to collect it that way from Delaware, both in terms of the time needed and also because we estimated approximately how much money it would cost just to get the Delaware part of our charter, which is a little bit over 50% of our total corpus. It would be like $500,000. So what we're really hoping is that this is going to be useful as a big data set for both scholars and practitioners trying to attack issues of corporate governance from a variety of different angles and using a variety of different methodologies. So I think this is a super exciting moment. I would agree. I think it is really exciting. And I wonder if there are any key takeaways from this conversation and from the paper you'd like listeners to have. And you both reference future works that you will personally do from this corpus. So is there anything you'd like to preview that you're working on? I think one of the things that it just segues to what Kathy was just talking about, about access to documents. My view, and I think all of us, of course, are sure that view is that those are corporate charters, corporate bylaws, those are public goods. And the way states have been guarding those documents and charging for access is really shouldn't be the case. We have been able to do a lot, but it's just the beginning. I think it's clear, for instance, we are not covering private companies. We have no way to get private company information, but that doesn't mean that private company charters shouldn't be accessible for researchers to be able to use them. And right now they are closely guarded by Delaware, for instance. So I think those implications about kind of the availability of this public good documents, especially since corporations are becoming such an important player in our society and just being able to access those documents easily, but not just by researchers, by stakeholders, investors, those are important documents for them to be able to access easily and freely. And that is not the case necessarily. So I think that's a, a very important takeaway. Kathy already talked about how we hope that more people in the legal feel comfortable endeavoring in taking similar projects or contributing to this undertaking by using our data, correcting it, adding to it. It's really a living document and we hope that it will continue to grow and continue to improve with the help of everybody who are interested in business law. We're also actively collecting the bylaws right now. So that'll be the next phase of the project. So keep an eye out for that. And I think there's just so much to do here. So I think one of the big takeaways would be to invite other people, not just to use this to replicate older stuff, um, which you can definitely do, but also just to think about new and exciting ways that you can use this prospectively. I think there's a lot out there for people to do. And we really hope that people will take this as an invitation to use the data set. Our guests today have been Kathy Huang, Professor of Law at the University of Virginia, and Yoro Neely, Assistant Professor of Law at the University of Wisconsin. We've discussed their article, Cleaning Corporate Governance, which they co-authored with Jens Frankenreiter and Eric Talley, and is forthcoming in the University of Pennsylvania Law Review. I'll have a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Kathy, your own, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. It's been a pleasure as usual. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.